This is the Education Gadfly Show. Did, did you get any sleep last night? Uh, three hours. Three? Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> what does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Katy Perry of Education Reform, Alyssa Schwank. Thank you for having me on today, Mike. Uh, I think Katy Perry's probably having a pretty rough morning. Uh, but she has a lot of free time on her hands all of a sudden. So yeah. there you go. I think that's a silver lining. Uh, and I'd like to welcome our special guest, the M&M of education reform. No? No, Connor. <laughs> is that totally inappropriate? <laughs> You're from Michigan. Bring it on. All right. Uh, <laughs> Connor Williams, Senior Researcher of New America's Education Policy Program and Founding Director of the New America's Dual Language Learner National Work Group. And I'm the, I'm the Jay-Z of education. Right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. Better uh, rapper than me. You can try to claim that, Connor. You can try to claim that. Wow. Well, it is Wednesday, November 9th. So here we go. It's time for Ed Reform Update. We are all here a little, uh, you know, amped up, I think, mm-hmm. from lack of sleep and shock. And uh, stunned like everybody else with the results of last night's election. We should say that, Connor, uh, we reached out to you now, I feel like months ago. You had written what we thought was a very Mm -hmm. provocative and thoughtful piece about gentrification and diversity in urban schools. We said, come on the show. I guess we put it on the calendar, not really thinking that it was for the day after the election. Anyways, we're not going to talk about any of that. No. Because we got to talk about the election instead. But it turns out you are perfect for this, Connor. You know why? You told me good that looks, you, you, good you, hair. yes, you, you could, you could totally be on scene. You, you're so good looking. You could be on Fox. Okay? Yeah. Oh, well, so, oh. you know, I'm, I have a face for radio. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or podcast. <laughs> uh, but, but Connor grew up in Michigan and you say you have been saying for a long time that, that what, that the, the white working class has been overlooked. Variations on that. Yeah. If you look back in, uh, it's one of the first pieces I ever published and I was back as a young and dumb, youngish and mostly dumb, uh, grad student at Georgetown. I wrote this piece for Dissent about, I called it the rise of the wonky left. It was about mm-hmm. this this move mm-hmm. towards technocracy. Progressives who were more and more like Ezra Klein and less and less better on facts and weaker on rhetoric. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My argument wasn't that we needed to leave facts behind, but that we needed to be more persuasive. We needed to be engaged in the political arguments uh, yeah. in, mm-hmm. in a more serious way. And this is watching Obamacare through where there was this moment where where you'd see the Democrats try to, and they said, this is going to save us money over a decade. Mm-hmm. All of these good things, it's going to work really well and more coverage for people. and then. You'd see the critics of Obamacare go, this guy is a fascist. Right. And I remember saying, look, like that might not be nice and it might not be fair, but that's how politics works. And the Democrats haven't bothered trying to sell who they are to mm-hmm. huge swaths of the American mm-hmm. population in forever. All right. But so is this a messaging issue or, or the, the primal scream that we heard last night, as some commentators have said? I mean, what, what is it that you think from your experience, this Rust Belt and the, the rural America what is it that they're trying to say? Is it? Are you saying it's just a matter of, of we, that your side needed better rhetoric uh, mm-hmm. to fight the Donald Trump rhetoric? Or are there real issues there that they feel like nobody's paid attention to until Donald Trump came along? So this is a like totally non-falsifiable claim that I'm going to make, okay. right? Because <laughs> some of this is path-dependent. If the Democrats take 20 or 30 years off of trying to sell themselves to the white working class, they stop trying to explain what it is that their brand of economic policy yeah. or their brand of health policy or education policy has to offer for these voters. When you get to the point we're at now, it's not obvious that if Hillary Clinton had just been a little bit more muscular in her rhetoric, that we'd be okay. It's yeah. one of those things where by the time you got to this election, a lot of this is baked in. There's yeah. a, a total distrust of elites across the board. There's a total mm-hmm. frustration and exasperation with 
anyone, right? So this is, it's not especially controversial, I think, to, to point out that a lot of what Donald Trump has proposed, which is to say vague, ill-conceived, not particularly coherent policy proposals, aren't likely to do much for a lot of his voting base. We don't oh, have yeah. a whole lot of evidence that it's going to help the people who right, are his base. Right. He can't actually bring the factories back. Is he, can. Right. Uh, he can build a wall, maybe. Will it achieve what it's supposed to? Probably not. Will it drive up prices at Walmart? Maybe. He wants to build a wall at the Canadian border. They are all for it, is what I understand. Uh, Right. Yes, that's the joke. But Alyssa, hey, we we noticed, by the way, uh, three Midwesterners here. Mm -hmm. Alyssa from from Iowa. States now. And uh, let's talk about this as it pertains to education reform. I mean, there's certainly an argument that says that we in education reform are part of, we are those elites. We are the establishment. We have been pushing things like Common Core that is, elitist and top down and mm-hmm. we know best. I mean, is is that part of here? I mean, certainly that played well at Trump rallies was bashing the common core. Yeah. I mean, I think kind of drawing on what Connor has said, certainly all of those reforms, when you think about them, are very technocratic. They're like, let's just put all of these things into place and then these things will happen. Mm-hmm. And we ran into trouble in 2013 with common core when we didn't do a great job of selling it on the ground in conservative states. And it was under a lot of challenges there. I think there is some, there's definitely some backlash. There's definitely, I went on specifically, you know, purely anecdotally, but my friends from high school's Facebook page started kind of checking out the used Twitter accounts and everything. And like, I haven't really been engaging on a personal level in social media on this election for a while. Um, There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of, you got us wrong. You don't understand us. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely, I think, very, it's distancing for me Mm -hmm. having like come from that this place and having really understood and been in a very small town for a very long time yeah. and seeing there has been de- decay and there has been decline. Um, but it's still, I think, mm-hmm. a result that doesn't necessarily lead to the changes yeah. that everyone thinks well, that it will. And, and Connor, if we said in the reform movement, you know what, we, we haven't been very good at paying attention to the, you know, poor rural white kid uh, who is also living in poverty and is also not making it to and through college. And we wanted to do more for those kids while not not backing away from our focus also on urban disadvantaged kids, but we wanted to make sure we were, you know, doing both. I mean, what is there more we could or should be doing from your perspective? Sure. What I, I guess I'd say is that I don't have, and I don't know a whole lot of people who have an obvious ready program for addressing rural poverty. Rural chartering is a different kind of a deal. And mm-hmm. there's lots of different issues around transit. There's lots of different issues around funding and around mm-hmm. Uh, frankly, about human capital and who you're attracting to work in which schools. Mm-hmm. Solving rural policy problems is, is something that I just don't know a ton about. And frankly, very few people in ed reform do. Yeah. But I would caution against believing that that's somehow a leading way to blunt mm-hmm. radical demagoguery in the United States. And we know that education as an issue isn't a particularly powerful lever for moving people or moving voters. Mm-hmm. We know that, let's, let's assume that Five or eight years ago, the, the ed reform movement got really good about this and, and was, was trying. They were on their listening tours and, and they, they got on the bus with the various secretaries of education and went and listened to everybody. And then they, they had a really dramatic and impressive new ground up program that they wanted to propose to all these voters. Would that address core issues around race and xenophobia? Yeah. I don't think so. Would it have really shifted the way that these voters view being left behind by the broader system? I don't think so. I don't yeah, think education yeah. access Sadly, should it? Yeah, it should. But does it? No. And I also think, too, that the three of us sitting here are kind of testaments to like when education is done right in rural areas or in kind of Rust Belt states, Mm -hmm. the tendency for the last 30 plus years has been to leave. My parents were very involved in our community and their message to me was clear, which was 
you do your best here and then you yeah. do your best elsewhere and then you go on to bigger and better things. So yep. there's larger yep. economic yep. issues. And That's we can't right. valorize some of these behaviors that have come up as we're trying to address these problems. Yeah, and no, I think that's it, attention. That's right, Alyssa. I mean, if you, you succeed in these areas, a lot of times the kids leave. I, I was actually in two rural charter schools just the other day, mm-hmm. two schools that we authorize in Appalachian, Ohio, uh, near, uh, right near Portsmouth, Ohio. And and yeah, I mean, you look around, the jobs, not much there. Yeah. And you think, boy, they if they right. succeed to get these kids to college or kids who go off to the military, uh, you know, by and large, they're not coming back. And uh, and that is that is a hard truth uh, to, to sell, certainly not in this environment. Uh, you know, I would push back some on, I mean, I don't know, the racism, the, the xenophobia. I mean, that's a, that was an element there. I guess I want to believe that that is still on the fringes and not, uh, you know, I, I guess I, I don't want to believe that in the, this huge swath of our fellow Americans, that was the driving force as much as feeling uh, looked down on, forgotten, you know, poked in the eye over and over again. Um, sometimes by people on the left, uh, you know, and, and, and this is the backlash. So here it comes. So, all right, let's talk going forward, Connor, any sense, or you, Alyssa, what this means, let's say, for federal education policy, for ESSA, for the ed reform movement. You know, not a great night for ed reform. I got clobbered in Massachusetts yeah. on charters, lost in Georgia on the Opportunity School District. Victory in California on more options for districts opening up bilingual education programs. There you go. Oh, that's right. You overcame your, uh, yep, yep. All right. There you go. Which at one point wasn't necessarily considered a reformy idea, but it's uh, but something you, you strongly believe in. I mean, what, what, what do you think, Connor and, and Alyssa, going forward? Any, any thoughts? Well, I think under our Trump administration, one thing that has been consistent is that Donald Trump's views are not necessarily consistent. So I'm not going to make huge guesses on what kind of policies or priorities he might put forth. Certainly, I do think the department will take a different shape. You have a really great blog post up right now that kind of outlines what this might portend for Common Core, for ESSA. I think ESSA is a big question mark now. I think Lamar Alexander has a big role to play here. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you about that, Connor. I, I think, look, it, it, it's going to throw a huge wrench into ESSA if if John King and his colleagues, they go through and they, they finalize the rules as mm-hmm. they'd like to see them. And then the new administration has to come in and has to start all over again, which they will do, right? It would certainly be better for states and schools if the, if the two transition teams got together and either John King agreed just not to finalize the regs or they said, all right, we're going to finalize them in the way. Is that just no, there's no way that could happen? It would be really nice, but it's my understanding that Donald Trump does not have a transition team. And so that's to say that it would be a nice thing to do yeah. were there actual people who were sitting well, in a chair ready no, for this. No, no, and I know there's Brad Robinson. I yeah. know there are some people and, and Bill Evers. advising him. But he doesn't actually have people who are sitting in those chairs officially doing yeah. this work. All right. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's been getting campaign advice. But does he have his right? So there have been people working on, yeah. on the Clinton camp, right, for what, a month or two, trying to develop what an actual governing agenda would yeah. look like? Probably longer. Yeah. This. I mean, yeah. at least. Yeah. There are no people over on the Trump side who've been doing that work. And so yeah. I'm sure you know, Robinson's got some views on this, but I, I'm, I'm waiting to see proof that yeah. he's going no, to be the guy fair. who could liaise that way. I mean, the other thing I would say is that this is the weird thing about it. For Hillary Clinton, I read it as all the incentives being for her to not touch education. It yeah. could only blow mm-hmm. up in her face in the campaign. There was no real reason to hit it. Mm-hmm. I actually think that in a weird way as a governing area, this is something Donald Trump can only win. Yeah. Because voters don't care that much about it. They aren't going to not reelect him based on education only. Yeah. And so if he wants to go score some cheap political points, he's going to have ample control in, in Congress. He yep. could do any number of things. Um Pulling back on the federal role in education. I, I see no reason. I mean, that's, that's all the signs that he has given is that he'd yeah. like to either mm-hmm. shutter the Department of Ed and he sort of walked around that. I don't know. But 
you know, broadly downsize it. He'd like to be, make it more or less just a grant-making authority with mm-hmm. little interest in quality, with little interest in oversight. I think he's explicitly said that they're pretty much they're okay with the Office of Civil Rights just going away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I don't know. I think that there's there's likelihood that he'll at some point weary of what are probably difficult, if not losing battles on the big issues, the yeah. things like immigration, fiscal issues, and he'll go and win some cheap points in education. So I think we, we stand to see big things. We just don't know what they are. He's going to build a wall around the Department of Education. You heard it here first. Okay, everybody, that is all the time we've got for our Ed Reform update. Now it is time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Did, did you get any sleep last night? Uh, three hours. Three? Sounds about right. <laughs> and yeah, we all look so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. If Lots only we had a video. Is that it? There was yeah. a lot of coffee this morning. Yeah. Mm, well, uh, yeah, whatever it takes to get us through this one. Wow, what a shocker. So we, uh, you know, everybody else in the world today is talking about the election. We are going to talk about education research. Research. But, you know, it might wind back around at the end. Just maybe. Maybe. <laughs> really? Ooh, really, because we're talking about race to the top. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> New study out by Mathematica commissioned by IES that examines the implementation and effect on student achievement of the Obama administration's, we all know, how many billion? Four. Point three five. <laughs> uh, rolled out in 2009, the program encouraged six particular reforms and policies aimed to improve student outcomes. Remember, they were things like adopting common standards. And assessments to prepare students to succeed in college and career, turning around low-performing schools, encouraging conditions in which charter schools can succeed, and so on. Somebody smart once called it a carrot that felt like a stick. Oh, I wonder who that was. (laughs) Uh, Analysts collected information on state education policies in all 50 states and D.C. through phone interviews with state education agencies in spring of 2012. They collected state-level test scores from NAEP from 2003-2015. They compared data among three types of states, early RTT states that received round one or round two grants in 2010, later RTT states that received round three grants in 2011, and non-RTT states that did not receive grants at all. Findings are wonk wonk, lackluster is the word I'll use. Mm -hmm. In spring of 2013, those states that received first or second round grants reported using more RTT endorsed policies Mm -hmm. than non-RTT states in most areas. So they basically admitted that, yes, we can be bribed. And they can. There were no differences between them, however, in building state data systems because, hello, didn't they already have all these? Yeah, they did that already. (laughs) Um, And in improving the state's capacity to support school improvement efforts. Because nobody knows what to do. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Like, it's a vacuum. Uh, Later, RTT states reported adopting more policies than non-RTT states in just one area, improving teacher and principal performance. Mm -hmm. And that went great. Uh-huh. Yeah, that really, went great. Yeah. Uh, these findings appear to indicate that RTT had an impact on state policies early on. However, and this is the biggest however, there were no significant differences between the states and the use of RTT policies over time. So just hmm. evaporated. What's weird is this is mathematic. I could not figure out how they measured over time. Like hmm. conspicuously, this was kind of a hard report to yeah. kind of figure out mm-hmm. how they did things, which is Hmm. Unusual for Mathematica. The the policies, meaning what? That the the non is it just that the non race to top states adopted these policies as well? Doing the same thing. Well, partly because they had to under under the waivers. Waivers. Little arm twisting, right? right. Uh, When it came to RTT impact on student achievement, 
Oh, man. The results were deemed. What do you think? Inconclusive. Inconclusive. <laughs> you guys are good. We've played this game a few right. times. Not clear, but same thing. Okay, not clear. Inconclusive. Uh, with, with state-level mean NAEP scores as their outcome variable, like, could we see this coming? Uh, it's pretty much impossible to figure out what's yeah. happening. Fourth-grade math scores in early RTT states, for instance, appear to be catching up with the non-RTT states, but that could have been done in the absence yeah. of RTT. Recall that these are different cohorts of kids that take these NAEP-administered tests, so it could have had everything yeah. to do with the kids. It could have had everything to do with the fact that when they asked these RTT states before they got the grants, are you doing these things? They said yes, because they got points for that yep. on the application. So, like, oh. I'm a mess trying to figure yeah. out, like, what's going on here, I mean, here, this right? just strikes, strikes me as Miss Napery. No? That's Miss Napery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, like this, yeah. is what, this is what's bothering me here, right? It's like, this was a huge investment of public dollars, mm -hmm. right? And didn't we know from the outcome that it's impossible to evaluate, really, like an mm -hmm. outcome causal kind of right. thing when you've got these right. huge, massive federal yeah. things. Many of us always said that the impact of Race to the Top was in getting states to change the policies. That was the big win. And yeah. and it could argue it, it was worth $4 billion bucks to do that. And keep in mind, if they hadn't had Race to the Top, mm -hmm. the states would have just gotten $100 billion for free, no strings attached, right. as a part of the stimulus. That was, you know, to, to keep those uh, districts all across the country afloat. So the reformers mm -hmm. pushed for something that would be you know, some, get something reformy out of all of this. Mm -hmm. and, and there were, look, it does sound like states changed their policies. They did. Now, that also happened in 2010 because the, the Republican wave election, mm -hmm. I should say, after that election in 2010 and 2011, a lot of action at the state level. So that was mm -hmm. an issue as well. Uh, but uh, what, what the, basically they're saying, yeah, probably $4 billion, you know, mostly down the drain. Yeah, a lot, lot of money that Long we really can't ever figure out what good it did or what harm and, it did. And why did the, American people not trust the elites <laughs> and the experts <laughs> and, and Washington. Right. And the thing is, I don't think we're going to see this happen again anytime soon. Oh, so, no. you know, no frets there and worries there. And apparently, and I don't know, SM probably says something about like how you can't do this sort of yeah. thing again. Well, they're, they're pretty much the race. I mean, the race atop is killed off. And, and, you know, we've been very cynical here, but I, I should say, you know, there was something positive that happened, which is that. In that era, the states, it did push states to really put yep. together some compelling plans mm -hmm. and at least some Made cases. Yeah, to say, hey, where do we want to go? What's our next wave of reform? You know, how can these pieces fit together? There were states that didn't get the money and they still moved ahead with some of the reforms. I mean, it was. It could have been like, a catalyst for something. And, and I think it was. In the, look, arguably, it, it certainly in Tennessee, it was a big catalyst. In Delaware uh, and a few other states, it, it you know, look, it, it, mm -hmm. it did some. Good. It's part innovation. Did it do enough good? I certainly prefer that approach, which was voluntary, but, you know, okay, sort of, sort of. Uh, to the waivers, which I think we right. can all agree now is an unmitigated disaster yes. because of requiring everybody to do the teacher evaluations, which has totally backfired. Yes. And tying in standards and really pushing that along as well, kind of. Yeah. That was too much too fast. So uh, back to tying back around to the election. <laughs> I so told you we'd end up there. We would. <laughs> so we have a Republican president-elect, sort of. Uh, we have a Republican Congress, uh, Republican governors at the state level mm -hmm. in charge of majority of Republican legislators. I mean, this certainly seems to imply that reform is not going to be driven by Washington it does. Uh, for the next several years. Is that okay? It does. Um, it's okay with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? It, it does allow, look, it allows reform leaders at the state and local yeah. level to really seize the, the, the mantle of leadership, yeah. right? You get the federal yeah. government is off our backs. There's okay, now, opportunities there. Now, as Spider-Man says, you know, or, or as, as Uncle 
Then ben. says to Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Yes, yes. that's right. And is, uh, will the leadership really rise up? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Where are the, all the good state leaders? They're they're out there. They're out there. Always a always a passage. All right. Thank you, Amber. Good stuff. That is all the time we've got for this historic week. Until next week. I'm Alyssa Schwing. And I'm Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.